0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 6 of series 3 of the Wide Open Road podcast, a podcast about athlete transition to life after sport. Brisbane Lions personal excellence and wellbeing coordinator Mariana Crow joined the club at the start of the 2021 AFL season after a long career in education, which included roles with the Department of Education and Training Queensland and Bond University. Mariana's experiences as an educator provides terrific perspective for players who are looking to explore opportunities to expand their horizons beyond the life of an AFL footballer. Mariana's role in collaboration with the Brisbane Lions' broader personal excellence and wellbeing team is designed to support the players to be the best version of themselves on and off the field of play. Building relationships and trust is a critical first step when working with individuals, and AFL players are no different. Mariana's insights provide timely examples of the actions AFL players and indeed all professional sports people can take in order to get the ball rolling on preparing for life after sport. Please enjoy my conversation with Mariana Crowe. Hello Mariana and welcome to the Wide Open Road podcast on the day Melbournians are celebrating our freedom. It's terrific you could join me today. You've been working with the Brisbane Lions as personal excellence and wellbeing coordinator since the start of this AFL season. Describe what the role is all about and how your experiences in education and teaching have been helpful in, in working with professional AFL footballers. Thanks Ed for
1: inviting me to come along and have a chat today. As you said, I'm relatively new into the world of professional football, but I've um, yes, come from many years of experience in teaching in schools and in universities, and there's a lot of overlap that I see in the roles. Um, probably, first of all, the personal excellence and well-being role that I'm in, Like, I'm part of a small team um, at the Lions, we're really lucky, we've got quite a diverse range of people so lots of people lots of different experiences to draw from we've got Andrew who's a past player and his background has been in a lot of mental health area and obviously his past experience as a player but he brings a lot of experience there there's myself coming from the teaching background and so in particular I'm sort of looking at the players and how I can challenge them and get them to you know see better versions of themselves which I know sounds a bit cliche but we're trying to push them forward and improve their skills off the football field as well as on the football field we've got Amanda in our team as well as is our admin guru and in particular sort of looks at connecting with the parents and the partners and you know all the special player milestones and then part of our team is also we've got our, our, our psychologist Alex and the medical staff. So, you know, there's a team of people that are out there looking after the well-being of our players, and I think we all bring different skills, and it's good we can sit down and sort of discuss the players and, and issues they might bring to us. It's a role about relationships more than anything. They're about, you know, connecting people, and a bit of a referral point for players. So players will come to us, you know, whether it's homesickness you know it might be new drafties, moving out of home for the first time or you know budgeting all those sorts of things that they'll come across for the first time and then with the other end of the scale we've got our older players they've got families and children they're looking to upskill and you know looking at what their next moves are so you know there's a whole range of things we need to look at so no two days are the same no two players are the same so i think In some ways, it's very similar to teaching where, you know, the classroom teacher has lots of different personalities, lots of different needs to look at. So we're sort of just looking at prioritising how we can help each
0: player. And if you think about it from the perspective of next moves, and and this podcast is all about AFL or player transition and and, an athlete transition to life after sport, what are some of the things that you might talk to players about who are starting to think about what their next move is? Because I would argue that their next move should be starting to be plotted as soon as they arrive in the AFL system or in any sporting system for that matter. But if we take your context, what are some of the things that you might be talking with your particular players about their next
1: moves? Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. I mean, the idea of career transition, I sort of take a step back, whether you're athletes or anybody in the population, where our careers change all the time as we get older. So, you know, I know what I did or what really made me alive and excited at 20 is not the same as where I am now. So I think it's even just being aware of what they're doing today is not necessarily what is best for them in 10 years down the track. So I think it's being aware that things will change. You know, there's an idea that the only constant we know is that, you know, there's change. So it's being able to sort of absorb that and be... Calm with it, but then be able to move forward and go. What am I interested in? What are some of the things I can try? What are the things that I know I'm not interested in? And actually, to start to get a bit of a plan going. So I think it's never too early to start. Obviously, for athletes, is maybe not as planned as in other areas. So in the general workforce, we might you know be involved, and we know we're not particularly happy, but we've got time to sort of look at other things. Whereas, you know, in the world of professional athletes, it could be, you know, the next phase there's an injury and that's the end of my career or my contract's come to an end. So it can happen really quickly. So I think, you know, probably the difference with athletes over the general population is probably how quick it can occur and sort of being ready to make the changes if and when they need them.
0: It's a really interesting point, especially about, where we are right now with respect to being in October, the draft's coming up relatively soon from an AFL perspective and lots of players or players have been delisted. And so some may get, I suppose, opportunities at other clubs, others won't and they'll have to go and find something else to do. Now that clearly brings about a level of anxiousness when it comes to people trying to work out what they're going to do, especially in those sorts of scenarios. And, it's clearly heightened at the moment. So in your experience, I mean, what do you believe are maybe some of the helpful actions that professional sports men and women can actually take when it comes to starting the process of working out what they might want to do when they finish their sporting careers, knowing that what they want to do today might be different in five years or ten years' time, but they still have to end up doing something when they finish?
1: Yeah, look, I think the thing is to start the process... But it's also, it's it's learning the process. I think my role in particular is not to be there to give them answers. My role is to upskill them or give them the knowledge and the background so they know when they go through these processes is how they're going to work through them. Because while they're in football too, they've got a lot of resources around them. They don't always have that. It's like, okay, let's use our resources now but try and work out how would I actually go about changing my career in any situation. So, you know, it's about identifying who you are to start with. So I think it's giving players the skills and the process so, yes, they can do it through their football career, but also I want them to be able to do that in their whole life journey, a personal journey. I mean, for everybody, we need to know how to get forward in our career. Some people can do it organically and some people need that real process, something to be able to work through. And I think the athletes in particular were used to, you know, routine, process, you know, step by step on how we need to do things. And I think sometimes they sort of go, like, okay, come in and I need an answer of what I'm going to do. Like, I can't give you an answer. What I need is to just sit down and think about who you are, what are your likes, and dislikes, What are some things you want to try? And let's actually start the process. So it is a process. It's not something that's going to happen quickly. And for some people, it's going to happen very, very slowly. and It's going to take a lot of hard work. So, you know, I think that trying to get that message through to players as well, that it's not an easy thing. I think a lot of players realise, because there's so much information out there, that they know you know, they're aware that it, it can be hard for people to transition out of sport. They know they have to be thinking about what their next step is. So it's sitting there, they know that, but it's actually they knowing what are the steps that I take to get to a job that I'm going to enjoy doing when I finish football. So I think it's sort of knowing that
0: process and getting some guidance on how we go about it. And the enjoyment thing is so critically important in any career. Whether it's when you finish sport or what you and I might be doing day to day from from the perspective of our own personal careers, and and what you said about it's a process, that's really interesting because footballers and professional athletes by nature are generally process driven. There's things that they have to do, and you hear on you know press conference it's all about the process and all those sorts of things, and and so I guess they would be familiar with that kind of description, I think the one thing which I've learnt through these conversations is that athletes are also very much in the moment. They are, from an AFL footballer's perspective, they're living week to week when they're playing football. They're judged on wins and losses and how well they've played in any particular game. And so there's, I suppose, to a certain extent, there's instant gratification. But when it comes to planning for what you might do next, it will take some time. Do you think that that provides another level of potential anxiousness that a player who might be coming to their end, maybe they're in their last contract, maybe they're, they're sort of late 20s, early 30s, and they are unlikely to go on when their contract finishes. Do you think that that can actually end up heightening anxiety and potentially leading players or individuals to make decisions that they might get later on because they need to make them quickly as opposed to giving themselves the time to go through the process to come out the other side with a better understanding of what they might do.
1: Absolutely. I think um, a couple of players this year in particular that sort of come to me with that idea they know, you know, they're very aware that their career can come to an end at any time. They know they've got to work out what they need to do next, but they don't know where to start. And then that idea of not knowing what I want to do has that level of anxiety but we have to start the steps here because that anxiety is not going to go away until you've actually started the process, start getting things moving forward. And, you know, if that anxiety sits there and it stops you from sleeping properly. You know, sleeping is when you rest and recover, you know, which potentially can, you know, affect how your body recovers from training. It's going to affect your where you are mentally, your mental state, um, how you're going to approach coming to the club. So it has a roll-on effect or you know, a baby chain, which can then affect performance. You know, if they're not recovering or getting more injuries because they're not resting properly. I mean, I know it's a bit of a stretch, but that level of anxiety can have that roll-on effect if it's not dealt with. And you know, definitely, you know, players are thinking through, you know, they know they've got to take the next steps, but, you know, some of them come, I don't know what I want to do. So that level of not knowing what they want to do brings anxiety. And my approach to them in a lot of cases is to go, okay, a lot of us know what we don't like to do. You know, usually if I say, what is it you don't want to do? And they can rattle off a whole list of activities or jobs or things that really they know is not their cup of tea. So I go, okay, well, you know what you don't like, so let's start to eliminate and look at the things that, you know, look for a bigger picture of who you are a lot of it is down to an understanding of themselves, self-awareness. I think, you know, players are coming, you know, traditionally coming in young straight from school. They've been thinking, you know, their life up to that stage has been football, you know, they don't get to be an elite footballer without a lot of work sacrifices, you know, a lot of planning. A lot has to go into that. So, you know, they've also got the skills to get themselves linked in an area so I'm sort of going okay let's use those same skills that you use in your football professional life let's tap into those skills but now use them for planning to be excellent in our next career our next profession so in the same way that they would prepare for a, a game on a weekend they might be you know looking at vision they're talking to coaches about you know areas that they can improve where their strengths are what they need to do, they're, you know, they're planning for the unexpected on the field, so all of that are the same, you know, they're the same questions, the same, same things we want them to think about, but now looking at, you know, little steps in doing the work for their career transition, or their career past football, so, you know, there is that, you have to put the work in, I think, you know, they put a lot of work into their, their career on the field, that same amount of work needs to go into their next career, whatever it is, as well. So it's sort of, uh, we've got to the top of our game in one area, and unfortunately now, we're not starting the game, but we have to then build on those skills and work out who we are to go into
0: the next area. It's a really fascinating question, the whole issue of who we are, and I suppose what drives us and, and what are the things that really get us going from the perspective of energy and excitement when it comes to things that we, you know, might decide to turn into a career. And one of the interesting things that I spoke with uh, current Hawthorne coach Sam Mitchell about a couple of months ago on this podcast was the fact that the small things add up. And it's a bit like the preparation for, you know, for your AFL career. You know, you don't get drafted just because you had a good couple of weeks. This is generally a body of work over an extended period of time, which gets you to that point. And I think what you're saying is it's no different when it comes to a, working out what makes yourself tick, which is difficult. I think I think a lot of people, even people who are in, you know, I suppose, you know, successful careers outside of sport would do the same thing. If someone says, well, what makes you tick? What really, what's your purpose? What drives you? Not everybody would be able to answer that question. And if we think about the transferable skills, because you mentioned the fact that planning and preparation and all of the things that professional sports people have to do in order to get the best out of themselves. I mean, what are some of the things that you think in your experience an athlete would generally take across to a another workplace which could be really beneficial to that particular workplace? Oh, there's lots
1: of transferable skills. You know, an elite person brings, whether it's their level of, you know, communication, their way to work with the team, you know, conflict resolution, that's, you know, that's huge, it's, um, their discipline, there are so many. their resilience, you know, there are so many transferable skills that they can move across into lots of different roles. Probably the one thing to be aware of is those skills are great, but by themselves will help someone be great in a new role, in a different work situation. But in essence, they also need technical skills of some sort or qualifications for whatever industry they want to work in. So... Think for example, I've got I've got a couple of players at the moment that are doing their diploma of construction management. So you know they're looking to upskill and to you know to work in that construction field when they finish in that line of managing people. So yes, they've got the great communication skills. They've got you know the work ethics. They're They've got lots of things they can take into that role. But they also need for that particular role, they've got to have an understanding of you know building codes and licenses and you know, the technicalities that go into that role. So, yes, elite athletes have amazing transferable skills that make them great teammates in the workplace that give them the edge over other people maybe, but they also have to have some technical skills to add to that to be able to go into, you know, particular levels. I mean, even the idea of a strength and conditioning coach, so, you know, players have got a lot of experience with strength and conditioning. You know, they've got an understanding of the body, etc. but they can't go and work as a strength and conditioning coach without the right certifications qualifications. So, actually, I've written an article recently, um, Andrew Charter, so our from the Kookaburras, our goalkeeper, had written an article not so long ago. And I think he entitled it the employable Olympian fallacy and he notes in there, you know, that we need to stop saying to elite athletes that, oh, it's easy, you'll just find a job. You know, you've got all these employable skills, you'll find a job because they can get a job but it's at what level they're going to start if they also don't have some technical skills. So there's great advantage of all those transferable skills but in essence, you know, you also need some technical skills and qualifications to go with that and an understanding of what sort
0: of roles that you want to get into. And when we talk about those sort of technical schools, clearly that that is generally going to mean some sort of study or if you like on the job learning and that might be done once they finish their careers but it could also potentially be done on their days off. What's your experience with athletes that you're working with and their, if you like, motivation to do other things apart from maybe lie on the couch and rest on their days off, uh, as opposed to getting out and maybe, you know, I know category groups in AFL clubs and the broadened business networks are very strong. And so there's an enormous amount of opportunity to leverage those networks when the players are in those sort of environments. What are the sorts of things that you've observed that players might want to start to do to start to chip away? Because You know, I spoke with Gracie Elvey a couple of weeks ago, which was the podcast before this one, and she spoke about the fact that she started studying a a Bachelor of uh, Applied Science over 10 years ago and she'll finish it, I think, at the end of this year. I guess that's the point that Sam Mitchell was making and other people make. It's these small steps that over a period of time will lead you to at least getting that technical qualification, which provides you with, I guess, an advantage against many of your peers who may not have that.
1: Absolutely. and. I've got a lot of players, I would say over 95% of the players are involved in some sort of training, education, networking. And I think that's part of the culture at the club. It's probably the same throughout other clubs. But there is that focus that, you know, the coaching staff, the the football, the high-performance staff, are all um, on board with that with the players as well, you know, not allowing them to get in that mindset that this, I can just play football and just concentrate on that at the moment. So, you know, whether it's some sort of training, networking, like you said, some on-the-job, you know, on the players' day off, we've got a lot of the players that are studying. Maybe it's only one subject a semester. Some some of them are handling two. We sort of get to start with one subject so we can see how we move through it, Because you know, especially when it's at, at a tertiary level that does take commitment and, you know, assignments and research projects. Then, you know, we've got other players that have identified different work opportunities. So, yes, it's reaching out, connecting them to the right people and, you know, making sure they, you know, go and do something on those days off, whether it's, you know, shadowing someone at work, whether it's actually getting some experience. Our players that have been um, injured, especially those that are injured for any great length of time, Obviously, they need a lot more support in staying upbeat and keeping on track, but also part of that is them spending the time looking at other courses, you know, getting some experience. I think the guys have done a really great job this year, and several of them that have had big injuries. They, yes, you know, it was a couple of weeks where we're sort of sitting and trying to recruit, but then it's like, okay, now I need to spend this time wisely. So I think, you know, it it is a bit of a a mindset around the club as well that it's something most players do. You know, I think that's great because it's not something different. It's what you actually do. So we've got a lot of them studying. I would say, you know, I'd encourage people to make the most of their time while they are in professional sport because, like you said, they've got profiles. You know, people are are wanting to talk to them or wanting to sit down and have a coffee. So part of my... um, you know, challenge with the boys is actually I shouldn't call them boys, the men, but you know, for them to actually start to think about, you know, those that don't know what they want to do, I want them to start something. And it doesn't mean start something to say you need to jump in and start a course. I want you to start something by start the thinking process, by start talking to people, meeting with them, finding out about different jobs and just expanding your knowledge of what's out there. Because like most people I you know when we especially when I was looking at high school students, you, know, you only know the jobs that you've come in contact with, the people, and it's your family, friends, you know, your parents, friends, the people in your network, you know about those jobs. And then you know, as you get older and more experienced, you hear about lots of different other opportunities out there. So what I'm trying to say to the players is actually meet lots of people, have conversations, but not just a general conversation, find out what they do, what actually part of, how did they get into that role? Because, you know, I have different players that come, on. Oh, I'm, I'm interested in real estate. And, I, and so they want to do a real estate course. And I go, well, hang on, let's just find out, go and talk to people. What actually are the qualifications you need? What are the best, what advice do they give you about getting into this field? So we just wanted to get more information. So I want them to start gathering information and gathering experiences. So I'm actually going to put a little challenge out to our players this year is actually to get their goals written down in a notebook or whether it's an app on their phone and actually start to jot down and keep track of the conversations they've had, what they've learned, and actually you know start that reflective practice a little bit. I'm very big on reflecting on what you've learned. So going through the experience but then looking back and going, okay, what did I learn? So I want them to be a little bit more discerning about their conversations and meetings. It's not that I want to meet these people because they're famous or they're at the top of the field in this area. What do I actually want to learn from them or what do I want to find out from them and making note of that and then how does that actually direct my next conversation with the next
0: person? And that's so critically important. It's it's great advice because I think the thing is is that the other thing I'd add to that is that. When you walk in to have a conversation with somebody, and I would argue that anybody, whether they're a professional athlete or someone who's thinking about changing jobs and wants some guidance or some advice or some mentorship from somebody else, if you ring them, 99.9% of the time they're going to say yes. That's just a – it's a bit of an ego boost as much as anything else when someone rings you and asks you for your advice and for your opinion. So I think the one thing that athletes can take out of that is that don't be afraid to ask because you're going to get a yes pretty much every single time. And the thing that you mentioned before about gathering information and experience and experiences, I mean, two athletes that I interviewed over the course of the last couple of years, Craig Mottram on this series and Steve Menzies on series last year, they both spoke about the time where they were talking with people that they'd met through sport who helped them into the things that they're now doing. And it's so incredibly important for all high-profile sports people to understand that... They've got an enormous opportunity to leverage whilst they're competing and playing. As soon as they stop competing and playing, other athletes take their place and so they're not quite as, you know, in inverted commas, important to the people who who could potentially help them and I think that's a a really critical point. If you think about getting back to some of the things around the club's support and it's clear that the Brisbane Lions are very, very keen to ensure that they're players and the people that are in their care have got other things in their lives outside of just footy can you talk a little bit about your experience with the whole issue of balance Uh, and we go all the way back to one of the first conversations that i had with david parkin who uh, an afl legend in himself both as a player and a coach but he was very very big on balance and for his players to have things outside of football to keep them occupied so they weren't thinking about football all the time I mean, what are some of the things that the club might be talking to players about to make sure they've got balance? Because the statistics, the research says that if you can drop the level of anxiety down and not always be thinking about, oh, you know, I had a bad game or I didn't kick that goal to win us the match or whatever it is, that that actually helps performance. And you mentioned it before, anxiety can lead to stress, can lead to not great sleep, you don't recover as well, and so you're not at your optimal. And so what are your thoughts on balance and just having other things outside of their sport
1: yeah look balance is vital for everyone but at the same time it, it's a tricky beast, as we all struggle with that idea of you know having lots of different things in our life that sort of take our concentration out but i think that idea of well, an old school idea of having to completely focus on your football or on one thing thankfully that's gone so i think everyone understands that we all need variety we all need balance you know balance is gonna it's gonna make us happy whether it's you know with our family commitments and you know we need balance on and off field all the time so it's just one of those things that i would say we all have to work on and the club and you know the afl in general i mean is very aware of that so you know we've got programs in place where we're making sure the players, you know, there's five pillars that we talk about, you know, when the player finishes their career, we want them to be, you know, at their very best in particular areas, whether it's their, their learning and growth, their financial knowledge, whether it's their um, personal resilience. So there are areas that the association is, as such is put out there to sort of go, these are some of the this is where clubs need to, to make sure players are doing things in those areas, building their skills so that you know they have got that balance that they are connecting with other people that are outside the football world. I mean most of the players also have got that awareness to sort of I'm more than a footballer. I've got a lot more in my life and a lot more people and connections. So they're quite aware of that and it's just getting that balance in place. I think we all know they need um, variety, but it's actually sort of getting them in place and I think some of the processes even with the Players Association bringing in those rules and regulations about players having days often and set times put aside for education and training is sort of making it very clear that they they value that they, the players need
0: these and do you think that the or your experience with the Players Association is a player leaning solely on the club or are they leaning on a number of different if you like, sets of resources which the club can provide, which the Players Association can provide, and then people maybe outside of the the inner sanctum of those two organisations who are also helping them with respect to getting the experiences and gathering the information because clearly there's a lot of resources out there and I know when we spoke uh, a couple of weeks ago in preparation for today's conversation that we talked about the fact that a lot of sports people are mollycoddled and outside of what happens on the field, everything else is done for them. I would argue that in the AFL system that doesn't necessarily ring true, but there still can be a reliance on others to get stuff done. What's your view on players taking responsibility and and being the ones that do drive what they're trying to do off the field as opposed to leaning on others to maybe help them when in actual fact the only person that's really going to make an impact is themselves?
1: I think when I look at our team itself, our well-being team, at the end of the season we're sitting there doing a bit of a review going we have to remind ourselves all the time our role is not there to you know, make things easy for the players. Our role is there is to upskill them and to get them to take down um, the responsibility. So there's a fine line because you know, in some ways you want to make things easy we want to do things for them, but that's actually not helping them and I've got sons that are in their early 20s and I go, like, as a, as a parent, you know you can't be the yes person all the time and doing everything for them. That might make you a, a good friend, but it, it doesn't make you a good parent. So in some ways, I look at this as the same sort of thing. It's like, okay, we do have to be tough on them sometimes. We have to put the responsibility back on them. They have got a lot of resources available. I, I mean, they've got enormous resources there for the players, whether it's education grants available to them professional services, induction service, like there is so much stuff. And I think, you know, you hear a lot of players and they actually believe that they'll sit back and go, gee, I wish I had made the most of all those situations. I knew I had people there that had helped me do this and helped me do that, but I was so focused on my football or, you know, I didn't want to take it on at that stage. That's the hard bit because I know even I put my teacher hat on and I go, when I was, you know, when you're at school, in the school situation, obviously it's a bit easy to make things compulsory, and you can't go to your year twelve graduation unless you've done ABCD, which is easy when it's school students. As adults, I'd like to be able to do that. I'd like to be able to say, "You're not going to get a contract now," but you know, like you've got to do a certain amount of work, or you've got to be actually building your personal portfolio of stuff. You've got to do something. Yes, I'd like to be able to put my foot down or be the parent and put my foot down. It doesn't work like that. The players need to take it on board themselves. Um, but they do have you know, the resources there. I mean, even the lines bringing me on it in this particular role, it shows what significance they put on you know, looking at that education and career development. So there is that focus on it. They're on the resource there. But the players need to engage with me and sort of go through and do the work to be able to make the most of the situation. So, yeah, I would encourage all players, whatever club you're involved with, is actually tap into the resources you've got access to because there is everything there for you, but you do have to, you know, once again, do the work, make the phone calls, have a chat and find out you know, where you can get assistance or what types of things. Probably also an understanding of what is available to them and how it can help. You know, there's networking, but it's like, okay, how do we actually use networking? How is it going to be effective? So, yeah, resources are there, but the responsibility, again, it just
0: comes back onto the player. And so can you describe the scenario where you get a knock at the door or a phone call? What does the player say to you and what's the general kind of cadence of the conversations that you might have early doors when a player comes to you and says, look, I need to start thinking about other things in my life. Because the interesting thing for me and, you know, I had a conversation with an athlete a couple of months ago who was still competing and they said to me that they'd love to come on the show as the as first athlete to still be competing, talking about life after sport. But this particular individual didn't want to because they thought that it could actually be detrimental to their chances of being selected in the team that they were playing in. And I really that was really disappointing to me that that an athlete who was looking to be proactive and to talk about their experiences as they're starting to transition to the next phase of their lives was worried that they could be penalised because they could be perceived as not being fully focused on their job, which is to play sport. Can you talk to me about... What does a player do when they want to sit down and speak with you about their well-being and, more importantly, about planning for what's next?
1: Well, I think, um, first of all, we have a fairly open-door sort of policy. <laughs> you know, where we sit is in a, a very common area. So we've generally got players coming through all the time for a chat. So, as I said at the start, you know, relationships is our big thing. So I think to start with is that people are comfortable to know they can come and talk to us at about, you know, whether it's whatever happened on the weekend to, you know, something that's quite confidential or quite sensitive to them. So I think it's then having the confidence in the staff, in the wellbeing department, that they know they can have confidential conversations with us, that we're not going to disclose that information and we don't disclose, we don't talk about anything. It's a confidence for the players to know it's not being discussed outside our little team's people. So we're very careful to make sure the information a player shares with us doesn't get shared around. And like I said, we have that sort of open-door policy, people come through, but a lot of the time someone might come past and say, I want to come and chat with you. So we make the time and we'll sit somewhere elsewhere. I also find a lot of the players, while they're at the club, they're busy, they're focused on what their main job is, which is training, recovery, you know, all parts of their football life. So... You know, it might be that when they get home, they've chilled down after the day and then I'll get a phone call at five o'clock in the evening or it'll be on their day off. When they've also got a bit of personal space to be able to sit and think. So it's great they generally come through and sort of touch base. Say, I've been thinking, I need to start something, can I make the time? You know, it generally works that way, that they'll just come past and give us a quick hello. And I'll, you know, I'll wander around the gym and and have a chat. But, you know, there's a time and a place they're focused on, you know, what they're doing there, but let's spend some time where we can actually sit and focus on whatever it is they want to discuss, whether it's, you know, looking at anxiety or stress related to, you know, even if it is football. I mean, we look at a whole range of things at the same time. I think we're very careful that we understand our scope of our job. So my job isn't, I'm not a psychologist. So, yes, I'll have chats with players and we'll talk through different scenarios and we might you know, they might bounce ideas off us, but then if it's getting to that stage that we're going, no, this is actually out of my expertise. You know, we'll get them to make it quite easy to see the psychologist or an outside person if they want to keep things away from the club. So really careful to sort of work within our boundaries that I'm not giving financial advice to players. like They might be, you know, you've got young players that buying their first house or you know whether even it's their car and you know the basic level stuff we will give advice on but then otherwise it's like actually you need to speak to a financial advisor so we're sort of that conduit sort of finding the right person but when it comes to the careers you know even among our team it might be that you know andrew's having a chat to one of the guys and you know they say oh i'm thinking of trying this or trying that and generally speaking you know, you might have a general chat to them, but go actually make the time to see Mariana. Okay, to sit down and actually dig into that, you know, at a different level. So we sort of look at where our expertise is and what we can do and then who else we would actually refer on to. But it's a shame we said about that player not sort of feeling like they can't talk to you because it could be detrimental. On the other side, to actually see from the cost perspective, whether it's just, it was just that player's perception. Uh, Because I know as young guys too, a lot of them, you know, everyone's worried that they won't get picked or won't get selected because of something they've said or, you know, that's a concern and it sits over them, but it's not necessarily how the coaching staff address it, but it it could be their perception of, you know, what could happen. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of the times too, you know, players will come to us with different things that are, they need to talk through with one of the coaching staff and they need, Bounce the ideas off us to go. How do I approach it? Because in essence, you know, you're still talking young adults, and they might be having a, for them, considered a very tricky conversation with their employer. And so maybe if they were, you know, living in their home state of staying with their parents, it'd be a conversation they've had with their parents about how do I approach this coach and, and ask for more advice. You know, a lot of it is sort of for them coming for us to be um, a person to bounce ideas off or even get them to think clearly about what they want to find out. That's the other thing I sort of find that players will come and see us, And they have concerns in an area, but they actually don't know how to articulate exactly what advice they're looking for or what direction, because in amongst it, they could be angry because you know they haven't been selected or because their injury isn't improving, you know, their, their rehab isn't happening as quickly. So I think you know, sometimes it's just actually helping them get a bit of perspective
0: and they get a bit of a plan on how they're going to approach things. Yeah, look, it, it's a that's a great, a great answer because I don't care whether you're an AFL footballer or an Olympic athlete or the CEO of a top 100 ASIC listed company. Most successful people out there have mentors and have coaches and have people that they can lean on to bounce ideas off, to be a sounding board when it comes to, making a potentially difficult decision or having a difficult conversation because difficult conversations are exactly that. They're difficult and you need to set yourself a platform that's going to give you the best opportunity to get, I guess, get get out of the conversations what you need. Mariana, you've been incredibly generous with your time and I know you've got other things to go on with with the course of your day. And I ask this last question of everyone that I speak to on this podcast, but I'm going to ask you a slightly different version of this question because of your experience as an educator and, and, and working in the well-being space. So if a young draftee wanted advice about preparing for life after sport, what would you tell them? Firstly, start, start,
1: start, start straight away. But get a plan, get a plan. First step is you need to know yourself. So we all know, like we said, we all know that You know, they will transition. They're going to move out, life after football. So let's start to try things. I don't care what it is. Let's just get lots of experiences under your belt, meet lots of people, talk to lots of people, but also reflect on what you've learnt. So it's one thing to have all these experiences but actually make note of, you know, what really excited you, what sounded good for those conversations. What are you going to take away from it and then think, okay, who can we... Reach out to you next. So I think it's get the ball rolling, like just make it happen. Everyone's got their phone, to so use your phone or an app on your phone to make notes. You know, if you've heard of people or you come across people in all the different, you know, situations and networking opportunities, you know, reach out to them then and, and find out more about their job. But I just think sitting and not actioning things is going to just breed anxiety and more just being unsure of things. I think just start one step forward and then reevaluate, see where things sit with
0: you and yeah, keep going. Mariana Crowe, thank you so much for joining us on the Wide Open Road podcast. Enjoy the rest of your day and look forward to catching up again soon. Thanks, Ed. Thanks for listening, everyone, to the latest episode of the Wide Open Road podcast. I'm grateful to each and every one of you for tuning in and for the wonderful support my guests have provided. Their stories are unique, inspiring and powerful, and I'm sure people from all walks of life will take a myriad of learnings about transitioning to the next phase of their lives, whether that be a professional athlete, a soldier, or perhaps someone who has decided they needed a change of career in order to find out what they were put on this earth to truly do. As in the words of Mark Twain, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. As the wide open road has evolved, it has become even clearer to me the power of stories. And if you or a friend would like to share your story, please reach out to me at edward underscore kemp at bigpond.com. Thank you for listening. Please stay safe. I look forward to bringing you more inspiring and uplifting stories in two weeks' time.